Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. And I am so excited to embark on this adventure with all of our listeners and special guests. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds in the industry. From seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Hello, it's time for another episode of Interactions and Attractions. And today we are here with Milena Nikolova. Milena is the co-founder of an organization called Behavior Smart. And, and uh, Milena works with Simon on a, a number of initiatives related to tourism. Milena is a specialist in behavioral economics, we're going to find out what that is, and we're going to find out what the heck it has to do with tourism. Milena, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. So tell, tell me what it means to be a behavioral economist. Would that be a good title for you? Yes, that's a good way to, uh, to describe it. So uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, we uh, have always had the interest in understanding human behavior, human decision making, and what forms and shapes people's actions. But there's something different about this knowledge that has happened in the last two, um, almost three decades. And that is that it has left the, or it has started leaving the uh, domains uh, where it traditionally was kept, uh, the field of psychology, the field of neuroscience, uh, sociology, and so on. And it has started merging with knowledge about economics, with knowledge about um, social uh, processes and um, uh, law, if you will, policy making, and so on. And what behavioral economics has actually transformed is our understanding of how we as individuals and groups make decisions across different contexts. How we make decisions about uh, what we buy, where we go for holiday, uh, but also whether and how we contribute to our community, whether and how we vote in elections, whether and how we decide to make greener choices or more sustainable choices. So behavioral economics is this field that layers over knowledge about how people really make decisions and act and explains why some things in societies um, are happening and are the way that we see them today. That's awesome. And so I, so I'm assuming it has a lot to do with psychology. 
And I'm assuming that maybe with this knowledge, you can make predictions about how people will act and will make choices. This is the main idea that understanding uh, or actually borrowing knowledge from behavioral sciences helps us understand better why certain challenges are uh, formed or shaped, uh, whether it's in a specific industry, which is what we do in uh, travel and tourism, or it's on societal levels, such as um, uh, health, um, the state of healthcare or health habits of people, um, or uh, COVID was the crisis with COVID was a, a, a brilliant uh, context in which we could see how understanding what will make people take certain actions or not take certain actions work out and how uh, psychology um, and other behavioral sciences can actually help us uh, prevent bigger damage from, from happening. So this is the, the idea and the principle of using this behavioral um, thinking. Okay, so so give me some examples about how you have used behavioral thinking and behavioral economics in tourism. And I know looking at your website, you've got a number of projects that you have been involved in, that you are involved in, and you do so much speaking on this. Yes. So um, one of the things that those of us who have been uh, in tourism know is that how tourism is developed can make a huge difference in terms of uh, generating the benefits that we want it to generate for the local place, local destination where tourism is actually happening. We have been um, uh, trying, I think, as an industry to transition from, from the model of focusing too much on the consumer, on the traveler, to the model of actually embracing a community-based, place-based um, approach where we actually start with accounting for what is the best way for tourism to develop so that the local residents, the local culture, the local uh, social texture, the local nature can benefit to the maximum. So where our knowledge comes in place is to consider what are the things that we need to change about how people make decisions and how they choose um, their holidays and plan their holidays. And how do we set the context or steer them in a way that leaves the enjoyment, leaves the, the pleasure of traveling and planning your holiday, but still steers them towards models of behavior which support local businesses, which are grounded on eating locally and buying local souvenirs and local products, um, which are based on exploring local nature without really uh, leaving any, any undesired footprint on it. So we try to, to use knowledge about how we know people behave when they make leisure decisions, and then to design the supply side in a way that aligns, um, aligns to that and helps us achieve um, the maximum in terms of value. I can give you some specific examples. Um, 
we know that if we ask people directly to be responsible travelers or consumers and we tell them please make sure that you don't leave waste behind or please make sure that you spend most of your money with local producers or local farmers actually is perceived as a sen- as an obligation for the traveler and science has proven many times that the moment that we enter leisure mode it can be when we are on holiday it can also be when we are just enjoying a weekend away from our everyday work realities we release discipline and behavioral controls so even if in our daily life we tend to be very responsible to recycle to shop at local shops to to be very considerate about um, use of resources and so on when we are in this leisure mode we tend to be more relaxed we sort of lay back and we say okay i know i need to be responsible but you know it's my weekend and it's been very stressful i just want to enjoy so i'm just going to do whatever is easiest and whatever requires the least amount of effort right i deserve it i've been working hard exactly exactly so asking people to to do the right thing and to behave responsibly is almost like swimming against the current it goes directly against the way that the traveler psychology works so then the behavior smart thing to do in order to still get get them to not leave waste or uh, spend with local um, uh, businesses is actually to present these behaviors spending um, uh, with local businesses eating locally seasonally and so on to present it as something that's very attractive and to make it super easy for them to choose so think about this i might be visiting um, uh, the state these days and i might not be aware about the 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 types of foods which are typical traditional um and which are uh, even more so which are seasonal which are in season now i just might not have that knowledge and actually it's it's probably uh, a good assumption to make that if this is my first time uh, visiting i'm not going to have that information so even if on value level i would generally support and want to spend locally i just don't have the knowledge to do that now if i am presented with the information that makes it very easy for me to know that, oh, it's pumpkin season, so I better make sure that I try pumpkin soup and pumpkin salad while I'm there. And, oh, by the way, um, this is one of our traditional signature meals. Make sure that while you're here, you give it a try. These are two steps that you take that immediately bring this to the front of my mind. And it makes it very easy for me, first, to know what action I need to take, and second, to um, uh, to actually um, uh, ta- target that as an action because now it's part of my plans. So it's sometimes seemingly small twists in the way that we present information, in the timing of the communication, because it matters whether I'm going to have that information before I arrive, can actually alter my plans and actions and my inclination to spend locally it's going to be interesting attractive and easy for me 
to spend locally if I'm given all of that information. So this is here the idea that if we know how the traveler's brain works, then we can actually design and align the desired um, uh, behaviors that we want travelers to engage in uh, and to set up the context to make them very easy and to make them very appealing and preferable for people. So this is the the logic. I hope that I was able to illustrate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if you might be able to give another example that isn't food related, because I think food is such a strong motivator. Um, you know, the 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 sarcastic part of my brain is like, cool, I'll go get a pumpkin latte at Starbucks. Um, but you know, really, <laughs> like that 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 how to get them to go, to visit the local businesses and enterprises, taking food out of the equation, how, how might we influence their decision-making? So um, there are several things that you can do. For example, if we are talking about more, uh, more urban uh, parts of a, of a destination, uh, one of the things that we try to do is to get people to walk more from place to place because when they walk on the streets, they actually pop in local into local shops. They interact much more with local businesses. Um, they see much more. So getting people to actually not get taxis from point A to point B, to actually envision um, walking through parts of uh, parts of the area where we know there are local businesses. Uh, is one way in which we, we get them to engage more. Um, so in this case, you might want to do a couple of things. One is certainly communicate more or insert in your communication images and content about people walking from place to place. Yeah. It could be simply visual. Like that's the best way it to could be. that's the best way to experience this place is is to do walking. Exactly. And they're like, oh, I want to have the best experience. Exactly, exactly. Um, you can also give people sample itineraries or a recommended, a recommended way to spend your afternoon and you give them several interest spots and say, oh, by the way, if you choose to walk, you're also going to walk by um, the farmer's market, which is always on on Saturdays and it's really a vibrant place. And from there, you can actually walk by the old church, which is uh, not visible from any vehicle because it's in a pedestrian only um, access area and so on. So you give them these small hints that suggest that this is a, a, a an interesting and exciting way to experience the place. And again, note that we are not talking about responsibility. We're not talking about um, the, the right thing to do. We are actually appealing to the traveler's brain and the travelers motivated by getting the most out of their experience and enjoying most. So if we speak to the joy, to the, to, to the part of the brain that's responsible for joy and fun and pleasure, and we present the desirable choices that way so that uh, they're appealing to that brain, then we have a higher chance of getting um, the right patterns uh, of experiences um, activated. I, I love the way that you make being sneaky sound like it's totally, uh, you know, a professional thing to do. Well, let's, 
um, let me actually um, relate this to to practices that I think all of us can um, can understand, and that's that using these kinds of um, how should I say tactics. It's something that, uh, for example, in sales is prevalent, and sometimes it's used in context um, or in um, scenarios that are not always uh, the best, let's say. I, they're not unethical, but they're not. And I'll give you an example because I'm a parent, and this is one of the things that I, I, I always find extremely irritating, and that's the placing of products that you don't want your child to want uh, in places where if you're shopping with them, you know that they're going to want because it's at their eye level, it's accessible to them and so on. And it's done because on the other side, somebody knows that this is the shortcut to getting that child to want at least candy, if sure. not three other things sure. that you don't want to buy. So one way to explain what we do is that we are trying to use the same mechanisms, but in order to steer behavior uh, in desirable ways, in, in ways that actually increase the value that tourism generates for the local residents, for the local place, for the lo local natural uh, assets. So there is a relation there. Of course, you're using your superpower for good, not evil. Okay, so now you and Simon have worked together a lot. Behavior Smart and your company and Naturescapes, his company, are partners. And, and you all do, yes. uh, you collaborate on a number of projects. How did you and Simon meet? And tell us some dirt on him. Tell us. <laughs> I mean, Simon you, is just what? tell me. I mean, no one else. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> just tell me. Absolutely. It's going to stay secret. So Simon and I actually, um, actually, when I was preparing for uh, for this, I uh, I thought about this, and it's exactly twenty years ago that we met. Of course, I was still in kindergarten. Um, he was much older. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, but <clears throat> seriously, we actually met at George Washington University. Both of us. Um, started at about the same time our studies there. Uh, Simon uh, enrolled in the uh, master's program uh, and I had started my doctoral program. Uh, both of us were uh, in the school of business uh, and my, because I already had the education in human psychology uh, and my interest, I actually started my uh, journey um, on uh, my doctoral journey with the idea of finding a way to use knowledge about human behavior in a practical way that applies somehow to um, to business in a way that that makes that produces smart, interesting, exciting, innovative way of doing things. I didn't know what it was. I just wanted to 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 have that applied uh, behavioral side. Um, and I was accepted in the uh, program uh, in the in the business school uh, with consumer psychology, uh, and I started looking for funding uh, to support myself uh, through the five years of uh, studies. Um, and I, I applied here and there, and actually received an offer 
from a small institute, a research institute that was housed at the uh, GW School of Business called the International Institute of Tourism Studies. And the International Institute of Tourism Studies obviously focuses on uh, tourism, sustainable tourism management. And so they offered, they made me this offer uh, for a fellowship. And the condition was that uh, I would, of course, support research projects and uh, engage in uh, uh, teaching activities and so on. But also the condition was that I would make um, sustainable tourism a supporting field of my studies. And this sounded like a super interesting opportunity. Uh, I had experience, uh, I had at that point, I, I had some experience with sustainability, mostly nature protection um, and uh, preservation of natural resources. I, I had very little exposure to tourism, but I thought, you know, tourism is such a great industry. It's, it's a happiness industry. People travel to, to learn more, to develop themselves, to explore, to rest from everyday life. So what's not to like about tourism? So actually, that's how I entered the field. And that's how we crossed paths with Simon, because the moment I, I accepted this, I had to also take tourism courses so i covered many of the courses that simon had to cover as part of his studies and so we uh we met uh, uh there at the program simon um for part of his studies also uh did uh research assistantship at the institute uh so we collaborated uh, a lot and spent a lot of time at the university together Okay, that's good. That's all good information, but you haven't given me some dirt. So did he like come to class drunk one day? Did he fail his test repeatedly? Like, give me some good scoop here. So I don't remember any behavioral failures like that. Major I know failures. that Simon, um, that Simon and his uh, British accent, uh, which was much stronger that, at that time, uh, were, let's say, quite appealing to many of the ladies in the class. Oh, so this is all I'm going to say. I got you. I got you. I love the term <laughs> behavioral failure. I'm going to definitely use that with some of my students now from now on. Uh, fantastic. So, so is so your work primarily revolves around tourism and and all of these areas yes. of sustainable tourism. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell what, what's your favorite part about working in tourism? Um, my favorite part is exactly what motivated me to go into tourism. I feel that travel is. Um, phenomenal, uh, is a phenomenal power in terms of enhancing and shaping people and making, making a better version of themselves. On one side, because when we travel, we, we escape from everyday stress the dynamics and we, we, we allow ourselves to be much more who we are, but also because by being in different places and by trying uh, new things by connecting with new people by seeing new things we learn much more about the world about other people about um, the planet about everything that uh, shapes the, the 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 environment in which we live and that 
certainly enhances uh, us not only on brain level, on physical level, on connectedness level, uh, and so on. And then, of course, the the fact that um, when we travel with friends, with family, we actually get to spend much more time together. And we know we are social beings. Mm -hmm. And so time spent together with uh, loved ones, with close ones, with new people that you're meeting, again, is a way of enhancing um, yourself and others. Right. So that's my favorite part about tourism. It just makes the best of people, of places, of nature, um, societies, if you will. It can. Yeah, it can do the latter, the latter. But, yes. but yes, for the yeah. individual, I mean, it changes your brain. It, it changes Absolutely. your brain and it shapes you in, in ways that you would not have been shaped if had you not taken those excursions. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, you know, even in the way that, like you said, um, regarding the, the social bonds that we have, it changes us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, what are some differences? You've worked with folks in the U.S. You've worked with folks outside the U.S. Um, you've worked with, worked with folks in Bulgaria, where you are right now. Um, what are some differences in the tourism industry from country to country? Uh, I think that the world is much smaller than we sometimes think. Um, there are many things that on very on very human level are very similar. Um, some of our cultural specifics or contextual specifics might be different, uh, but the the desire to explore, to learn, to connect, I feel um, are relevant for all of us. In terms of differences, um, I currently work, the work that we, we do uh, right now, is mostly uh, across Europe. Uh, we do have, um, uh, we do work, uh, of course, in, in North America, in the US and Canada as well. And we have a lot of colleagues with whom we collaborate there. Um, the main difference, I think, between right now, between European and North American destinations, I would think is that in Europe, you feel much more pressure, structured pressure, um, to advance uh, sustainability and climate action, uh, simply because on policy level, you have um, a, a much stronger push. And so that is something that makes even the individual small business uh, more um, more pressure, let's say, to to get certified, to meet certain uh, targets, uh, to report, and so on. Um, so this is something that you can see. Simply, the ecosystem is 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 kind of pushing this down because on EU level there are certain policies and decisions that are being made, and then they're um, uh, channeled to the countries, and then governments across different. Uh, countries are making their own targets and then they're re pull, pulling their own requirements on businesses and, and destinations and so on. In the U.S., I feel, and Canada, I feel there's much stronger focus on the topics that are important also for uplift. The fact that 
um, uh, tourism should be grounded much more uh, in the local economy, um, that it should leave more value in the local place, in the local economy, that it should be much more connected to other sectors in the place. So there's less um, pressure, I feel, to report on climate and sustainable SDGs and so on, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. But the ultimately, the ambitions are similar because if you ground tourism more on the local economy and you try to keep people to travel slower and to experience more and to stay longer, you are also hitting um, climate action goals. You're also hitting a lot of the sustainable development goals. So I think that again, uh, coming back to what I what I said at the beginning, that actually we are a much smaller planet and world than than we think. A lot of the the, the models and the goals and the ambitions are the same. They might be framed differently, um, and on the surface they might feel different. But actually, all of us. Uh, across different countries are striving to make tourism work better for places, uh, for people, for travelers. When I say people, both hosts, but also travelers. And of course, for the planet as a whole. Yay. Melina, you have such a great way of saying things in such a positive light. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, the, na Thank you. the name of this uh, podcast is Interactions and Attractions. And we always ask mm. our guests about what interaction brought them into tourism. You told us that in terms of your involvement yes. in George Washington University. Um, but now I need to ask you about your favorite attraction. What is your favorite attraction in the entire world? Oh, my. Um so uh, this is actually a quite a different uh, difficult question to to respond to um i generally am a water person i like water uh whether it's uh, the ocean or the sea or it's a lake i just um this is my this is my place i i just need to be close to water happy uh and this is my happy place absolutely so i love experiences places where in addition to uh to to um active blue and green color i can see water and i can engage in water i like um one of the things that i've picked up because i like water um is stand-up paddling so this is something that um, I love trying in different places where there's an opportunity to do so. I love traveling with my family. Um, so I would say that every time I'm in a good, beautiful uh, place with good nature and I'm with my family, uh, this is extremely enjoyable. I travel a lot for work. So this is very different from being with my family. I have three children, they're different ages. So it's actually quite entertaining. My husband and I are never bored. Uh, we have a five-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 14-year-old. So we get the different perspective, the the child eyes and, and interpretation of what we see, and then we get the teenager perspectives and so on. So it's never, never uh, dull. And I would say that my favorite, uh, my favorite travels is probably not 
it doesn't link to one place. It links to a combination of factors being present uh, in these moments. I'm going to let you slide on that. Um, but 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 what what I'm taking from this is where there's um, paddleboarding, where you can paddleboard, that's your favorite attraction. Yes, you want your family there. Yes, we assume that. But where where Milena can do paddleboarding, that is your favorite attraction. I love that. All right, we're gonna make sure you come to North Carolina so that you can do some paddleboarding here. Absolutely, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> Milena Nikolova, thank you so much for being with us here today and for explaining what the heck a behavioral economist is. Um, I have really enjoyed getting to know you. You're, you're gonna be doing some um, programming in 2024. Um, tell, tell, tell us briefly about that. So um, it's really a fantastic uh, pleasure that we will have the opportunity to bring some of our knowledge and uh, experience about using knowledge about human behavior uh, to, um, to the collaboration with Uplift uh, and the amazing efforts that um, are uh, underway within the project. So we will be um, translating knowledge about human behavior into very practical, hands-on, smart things that businesses and destinations can do uh, within the, the, the regions where Uplift is active in order to achieve what we were talking about earlier, in order to get travelers to plan their holidays and then engage in types of travels that leave the maximum for the local economy, that lean um, on local businesses, local offerings, seasonal food, uh, local crafts and arts that allow them to engage in a way that maximizes the value and minimizes the undesired footprint. So this is going to be our goal. That's, that's amazing. So we get to learn all of the stuff you've been talking about. We get to apply it here in North Carolina through the uplift. Absolutely. Program. That's amazing. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been such a pleasure. I can't wait uh, to, until your webinars uh, in the new year. It'll be a great way to ring in the new year to uh, all try to be more sustainable in all of its various forms driving visitors to uh, our local economy through rural tourism. I can't wait. I'm going to learn a lot. Absolutely. Same for us. Uh, me and our entire team cannot wait to uh, start this program. To find out more about Milena's company, just look in our show notes and you can see her website and learn about all the different projects and speaking engagements that she has engaged in. Um, that is all for interactions and attractions today. Again, thank you, Milena. Thank you. That's all we have today on interactions and attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 0479 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce 
The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the U.S. Department of Commerce.